Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 151 and the first episode of season 7 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host Wa'il and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening, participating, and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, also, if you want to keep up with the release dates uh, or, you know, whenever I go on a break or all these kind of announcements, you can follow me on Instagram at delvingintoislampodcast. Again, delving into islam podcast for all the upcoming announcements now uh, this podcast is literally for anyone whether you are remotely just remotely curious about the religion of islam or if you're thinking about becoming a muslim or if you just became a muslim or if you've been a muslim all of your life and you know just want to add to your information and knowledge uh, this podcast is for you inshallah uh, and before I get into today's topic, I just wanted to let you know that I'm very happy that we're back. Alhamdulillah. I know it's been a while, but it was worth it. You know, I was preparing for the podcast and I was taking care of other affairs and everything like that. So again, I'm very excited. Uh, welcome back. Uh, thank you for, you know, being patient with me. And yeah, it's going to be very, very beneficial season. Alhamdulillah, all seasons have been very beneficial. But this season for me is going to be very special because, like I mentioned many times before, the topic of the Day of Judgment is the topic that made me study Islam. That made me, first of all, more of a religious person. I was less than average. I could say that, like a little bit less than average uh, of a Muslim. And once... Subhanallah was of course there's nothing nothing is, is is a coincidence it was a plan from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I did want to learn at the end of the day and so I came across this topic and I became fascinated with it and I became also scared of what I'm doing and 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 how that will you know affect my my hereafter and the day of judgment and truly the day of judgment was the topic that made me you know, until this day, try to become a better Muslim and made me become a student of knowledge to actually academically study Islam. So that's why this topic is very special to me. And it is truly very critical topic in Islam in general, in Islamic theology in general. You know, like in Islam, everything, everything we learn leads to the day of judgment. Everything will be like will have an effect on our fate or our destiny when it comes to the day of judgment. What will happen to us on the day of judgment will be affected by every single action we take, every single decision we make. It, it, it is significant. It's literally significant, you know. So that's why I'm very, very excited for this uh, this season, inshallah. And like I said, I'm also very excited for the season because we're introducing this new segment of the podcast, which is delving into Islam thoughts. This is something that I'm been I've been very passionate about because I have a lot of thoughts, you know, when it comes to Islam, and they could be very random. Um, and I actually, I had a thought that I wanted to start this season with, but then I told myself. Now, let me start the season with what people are, have been waiting for, which is the main topics, talking about the Day of Judgment, and then, inshallah, whatever the stuff that I want to talk about when it comes to delving into some thoughts, I will. 
um, you know, like I, I want to talk about the Valentine's Day and how mu- many Muslims celebrate it. But then, is it really okay to celebrate it with the significance of the origins of the Valentine's Day? Again, it was a thought, and inshallah, I will have an episode about that since you know we had it, uh, we had Valentine's Day, uh, uh, you know, early this month. So yeah, I wanted to talk about that, and I have a lot of uh, a lot of you emailing me about you know q a uh, uh episodes and asking me questions and uh, very tricky situations that some of you are in may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on everyone that also i will address in our q a segment uh now another thing is that uh, uh i am going to try to introduce not a full video version of the podcast i cannot do that but short videos clips of the podcast that are while i'm recording the podcast i will have the camera on and then i'm just gonna sing the video with the audio and then just upload it to uh maybe youtube and by the way youtube you can find the podcast channel on youtube it's with the same name davint islam podcast it has not been active at all uh but i recently uploaded like kind of uh again short clips from our topic uh, today uh, and i will do that once in a while i will just upload short clips and, and the reason why i cannot do a full episode format like you know a video format for the entire episode every episode is that like i mentioned in the last episode which is the prelude to season seven uh, the editing process is not that easy because i have to listen to the entire episode after i record it and then if there is some sort of a noise coming from outside or I, if I make a mistake and like, you know, hitting the microphone and that could cause an echo and all these, you know, little mistakes. Or sometimes I would say something that I didn't mean and then I catch it in, in the, in, 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 you know, in during the editing. So I have to like cut it and then go and record what I actually meant. It was a slip of a tongue, maybe like saying something, uh, the wrong word that, might make people confused and i gave examples in again in the prelude uh to that that some from things that actually happened so imagine all of this process and that's there's no video involved so if i add video to that it's going to be insane in terms of time right and i won't be able to do it and it's going to be frustrating and i might just not do anything at all so i told myself you know what maybe little videos short videos will be better because I don't have to edit that a lot. Uh, and, and I think this is a great start because I know a lot of you asked me to do a video format of that. And unfortunately, because of time-wise, and, and again, it's going to be very exhausting. I cannot do the, the whole thing. Uh, however, I think it's it's also better if, if, if I do, uh, you know, if I do just an audio, uh, uh, just an audio format for the entire episode, but then take like certain clips video wise and then upload them to again the my YouTube channel or to uh Instagram, which I just gave again, it's the same name, delving into Islam podcast. So yeah, that's that. I would just it's something in the beginning. If it's if it gets easier, maybe I can do longer videos. If it gets easier, maybe I can do a full episode. I I'm not there yet. I'm not even close. I just want to set your expectations. But for now, it's gonna be short videos from our uh weekly podcast inshallah now i can maybe do full q a episodes in terms of video format or full thoughts but even though thoughts are tricky because sometimes i i know for a fact that some thoughts could take an hour or even like more 
So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm just, you know, I, again, I will, I will keep you updated, inshallah, when it comes to that. So that's, you know, my all my kind of announcements. Again, thank you for everything and for being patient. And I know that I have not been great when it comes to emails, but wallahi, it's it's just I, it's out of my control. I can't. Uh, the timing is 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 crazy. But I try my best to respond uh, to everyone. So yeah, that's that. Now. The day of judgment. So just a quick, quick recap. We know that, the, and by the way, I'm going to do something very special in the next episode. And I'm going to give you a hint what I'm doing. So it's not going to be like a, you know, like a mystery or anything like that. But let me, let me start with this and I'm going to tell you what, I, what I'm planning on doing in the next episode, inshallah. The, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us that there's a day of judgment. Allah was very clear. It was very explicit in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. It's very clear. You know, th- there's no mystery about it. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, out of His mercy, He will give us signs. Okay, and the, the, the scholars, not Allah, the scholars have categorized those signs. Allah gave us all the signs, told us about the signs. The Prophet ﷺ told us about the signs. However, the categorization came from the scholars, which made sense. Uh, they categorize it into two. Or maybe you can say three signs, three types of signs, minor signs, uh, major signs, and in the middle, a transitional sign that basically transitions from minor to major. And it's only one sign that transitions. So the minor signs, let's talk about the minor signs are very things that literally 99% of them already happened, which is kind of scary. That means the minor signs are almost gone. It's probably like one or more, two signs are left. Once they're done, the major signs start, right? Uh, and we, we, we took examples. Like, for example, we said, and again, uh, uh, the reason why I'm recapping this is because I know that some people uh, who have not listened to anything in the past, they just come into the latest episode and they just try to listen to it, right? So I'm trying to make it make sense to those, to the newcomers, the new listeners who have not listened to anything I've said. Of course, it's going to be better if you listen to everything we've talked about in, in, in a lot of detail. But again, if you didn't, this to make it easier for you to understand what led up to the Day of Judgment, right? So again, some of the minor signs are stuff that were predicted by the Prophet ﷺ that were given to him by Allah. So anything that the Prophet ﷺ predicts, it's not from his own will or his own heart or from his own thoughts. Any prediction by the Prophet ﷺ comes directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but Allah leaves the wording to the Prophet ﷺ. And we always, always mention that. The wording matters because what makes the, the difference between a hadith and the Quran. So we have two types of text when it comes to Islam. Two types of text when it comes to Islam. The first and the major one is the Quran. Quran is our book. This is the word of Allah, the word of God. Now, the second uh, source or the second type of text we have is called hadith. The word hadith in Arabic literally means talk. All right, means talk hadith, right? And basically, it refers to the talk of the Prophet ﷺ. Whatever the Prophet ﷺ gives us a statement, right? It's a statement by the Prophet ﷺ. That's also a meaning of a hadith. So the hadith is a statement that was made by the Prophet ﷺ, uh, and. The Quran is the literally the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, what is the difference between both? Just really quick. The Quran is, uh, is 
sent to us what you see in the books of the Quran right now is the the words of Allah as he spoke them to angel Jibril angel Gabriel and then angel Gabriel spoke them to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there is no changing there is no rewording it is exactly word for word so when you say bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin ar rahmanir rahim this is the first chapter in the Quran this is exactly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his own of course divine voice spoke to angel Jibreel and told him go send to prophet Muhammad bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin ar rahmanir rahim maliki yawmiddin iyyaka na'budu wa iyyaka nasta'in then angel Jibreel or angel Gabriel took these words and forces an angel so everything is memorized it's not like oh maybe he forgot on the way down no no it doesn't work that way we as human beings forget the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam does not forget because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam his mission is what to convey the message so allah this whole forgetfulness when it comes to texting or like hearing the quran the prophet sallam did not have that why because it's critical to deliver the message as he heard it from angel gabriel so again allah sends quran to the prophet sallam through angel gabriel sometimes he gives them directly like the night of isra and miraj we talked about that as well but that, that these are rare occasions but the mainly it is uh, angel jibril or angel gabriel which is basically the leader of all the angels he is uh, the angel in charge of the revelation he takes the text from the, from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he hears it from allah by the way it's not like in a book or in a piece of paper allah speaks it to angel gabriel angel gabriel speaks it to the prophet sallam and the prophet sallam subhanallah miraculously by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instantly memorizes the quran or those verses and again quran was not chronological by the way the way quran was revealed to the prophet sallam was never chronological the first literally the first verse that was revealed in the quran to the prophet sallam was from the chapter of alaq not the chapter of fatiha not chapter number 1 it's the chapter of alaq but then again, the, the companions and the Prophet by the way, who had a huge role in like titling the names of the chapters and organizing them and all these things. And then the companions did so. Uh, so again, I don't want to see, it's a tangent. I'm, I'm going on a tangent right now. My point is, the Quran is the text from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah spoke it to the Prophet eventually, because again, it went through Angel Gabriel. Now, Hadith, the difference now hadith is what it's also coming from allah hadith is also coming from allah but here's the difference the wording was left to the prophet so allah would send the information to the prophet and let the prophet express it his way that's the main difference between hadith and quran quran there's no rewording it's word for word and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the quran وَلَوْ تَقَوَّلَ عَلَيْنَا In the chapter of Qalam وَلَوْ تَقَوَّلَ عَلَيْنَا بَعْضَ الْأَقَاوِيلِ Allah will not allow the Prophet to change a single letter in the Qur'an. Will not allow anyone to do that. So the Qur'an is 100% reserved. Now hadith, Allah will say that, again, the Prophet is not going to come up with his own ideas. It's just the wording is left to the, to the Prophet ﷺ, but the information comes directly from Allah okay so I hope that's clear now when I say that the Prophet told us about a few minor signs they're not by his own predictions just from his own again thoughts or you know his own oh I think this might happen no 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 
The Prophet, whenever he talked about anything, he said, This happened or this will happen because it's coming directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That means it's hundred percent real and there is no it might. This will happen, this will happen because it's all coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is a fact, not an assumption. Okay. That's why I just wanted to explain. I know I went through this whole explanation. Uh, the difference between Quran and Hadith Just to explain to you That every single thing the Prophet predicted About the, the Day of Judgment Or the signs of the Day of Judgment Came directly from Allah It's just the wording was left to him But then again Anything that had anything to do with the Day of Judgment In the Quran The wording came as is from Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, Okay, I hope I did not make that more complicated So anyway Minor signs Like what? Like the increase of sexuality, public sexuality, increase of adultery, and by Allah, just look around you. Just look around you. Social media is filled with models, males and females. I know females are a little bit more, and we even discussed why is that, but you have male models, female models, and it's all about sexuality. Uh, sexualization became a big thing, right? Uh, I identify as, uh, you know, heterosexual, bisexual, whatever, all the sexual stuff. It became a big deal and it became part of, ironically, people's identification. You're not identified now as your name and what you do or your religion. No, 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 no. What do I like? And it's, the, the Prophet predicted all of that. Sexuality will become... Dominant and it will be a public sexuality Sexualization Sexualizing yourself or people around you Look at it Look at the world Wallahi And this was unfathomable Maybe 50-60 years ago Yes there was a few things here and there But at the end of the day It was not as you see it today And the Prophet said From the minor signs of the Day of Judgment This whole thing right? Like this whole sexualization Increase of adultery Which again it's, it's, it's insane It's insane uh, and unfortunately, it goes into also the Muslim community in the West or in the East, in the Middle East, in Muslim countries. It became out of control. Wallahi, out of control. But what gives you solace and all this misery and all this like darkness is that the Prophet predicted that. This, you know, this will happen. Same thing as like when we talk about Palestine, right? And, and the Muslims there and, and Israel like oppressing the people, committing genocide and all these things we talked about. The only thing that gives you a little, well, a lot of things actually give you solace. Like, you know, that they all died martyrs. That means straight to Jannah, straight to paradise, straight to paradise. But also the Prophet predicted that. He said, what? Muslims will be tar a target. The Muslim nation around the world will be like a target to all non-Muslims to toy with. All the governments, at least. All the, those who are in power. They will invite one another to mess with you. This is a very famous hadith by the Prophet that was inspired by who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gave the Prophet that information and, Allah, uh, and the Prophet told it to the companions and now we know about it. So what gives you a little bit of solace is that yeah, we will be humiliated. Why? Because we're going to forget our deen. We're going to forget our Islam. The Prophet mentions why. By the way, he mentioned why. He said because they will love life so much, this life so much, they're going to be holding on to it and they're going to forget about Allah. They're going to be scared to die. By the way, being scared to die is normal, but being scared to die because you love this life is not normal. 
that's a sign of very weak faith. Like if you're clinging on to this life, like I don't want to leave because I have so much to lose. I have a big house and I have a big family. My reputation and I get paid well and I love to go on vacations and go travel. If this is your reason why you're scared to die, then you are in big trouble. And this is what the Prophet mentioned in that hadith. People will be so afraid to die because they love this life so much and Allah will make increase that in their hearts and they're going to become weak. If you love this life so much, that means you're weak. You have so much to lose. You will be weak. Now, for example, I'll talk about myself. Like, honestly, I don't want to die, but not for those reasons. I'm worried about dying. I'm scared of dying because I'm scared that I have not done enough to meet Allah with. Again, full disclosure, I'm very honest. I am scared of death. I'm scared to die now or tomorrow. But the reason why I'm scared is because I keep asking myself, have I done enough? Am I good to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Do I have enough good deeds to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Have I been messing up without knowing or with knowing and ignoring and saying, I'm going to repent later? That's why I'm so scared of death. I'm scared to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with shortcomings. This is normal. As a matter of fact, as a believer, you should have that. You should not be like, well, I got it covered. I'm good. I'm a great Muslim. No, that's also a sign of weak faith. Overconfidence in Islam, you always need to do better. That's the sign of a true believer. I'm not calling myself a true believer, but this is the sign of a good Muslim. You have to feel like that. You have to be scared to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By the way, we also mentioned that. We had a whole episode talking about our relationship with Allah. Love and fear, remember? Remember? It was in the early seasons. Love and fear and hope. Love, fear, and hope. You should live your life with more fear than hope. Because here's the thing. When you have more hope in Allah in this life than fear, you're going to be overconfident. Allah will forgive me for this. Don't worry about it. Oh, I messed up here. That's okay. Allah will forgive me. I can even sin more. And I know Allah will forgive me because it is all forgiven. You cannot live your life like that because guess what? You keep saying Allah will forgive me. Now, first of all, Allah knows what you're thinking. So you cannot trick Allah. You cannot bank on that. Also, you can die before Allah would forgive you. And you're done. You're you're. It's you're doomed. Now the Prophet said, "You have to flip it. You have to live this life with a little bit more. fear. Has to be more than hope. You still have. You need to have hope. There is no denying that. But you have to have fear of Allah, not fear in general. Just fear of Allah, because we said that fearing Allah is the healthiest type of fear. Okay, so you should live this life with more. Because when you live your life fearing Allah, you're gonna do better." And when you make a mistake, you're going to repent. And you're going to try to not make mistakes. And it's just going to keep you on your toes. You're going to, you know, it's going to, going to keep you sharp when it comes to your religion. So that's why it's great for a Muslim to be scared to die because of their deeds, because of shortcomings. But if you're scared to die because you love this life and you're going to miss it, and you're going to miss your favorite coffee place, newsflash, you will die and there's nothing you can do about it eventually. So you need to think about why. Why are you so scared to die? If it's because of this life, then you really, that's a sign of weak faith. And that's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ talked about, describing the condition of the Muslim nation towards the end of time. Now, some of the 
of the minor signs, again, there's a lot of them, the, the increase of usury. That was a hadith by the Prophet. You know, intisharu riba, riba, which is usury. Now, again, look around you. Everyone who owns a house is what? Get bought it via mortgage, paying, by the way, paying interest or receiving interest, both are the same in the side of Allah. Don't think because you're paying interest, you're exempt. No, 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 no. And it's one of the 10 major sins, by the way. Ten destructive sins is usury. People don't take that seriously. And the Prophet said, people won't take it seriously in the future. Because by the way, usury was unheard of. People would not, in the Muslim community, during the time of the Prophet there's no way people indulge in usury during Islam. Even after the, the, the tabi'un, the followers of the, 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 generation, the generation of the companions, none of them, nobody dealt in usury. Look at our condition now. Again, the Prophet predicted it because Allah saw the future. Allah told the Prophet what will happen. And the Prophet told us that this is going to happen. And it is a minor sign of the Day of Judgment. Again, the signs go on and on. Civil war between the Muslims. Actually, civil wars between Muslims, Muslim nations. Uh, a lot of things. We talked. We had a whole episode about the minor signs, right? Okay, so that's that. Now we're going to have, Allah said, there is a transition, a transitional sign. Again, Allah did not call it a transitional sign, but Allah basically described it as one of the signs is what? Uh, the coming of the Muslim leader called Al-Mahdi. The coming of a Muslim leader called Al-Mahdi. And the Prophet was very explicit. He said Al-Mahdi will come after a great deal of injustice in the world. Now, a lot of people are asking, is this now? Because you see the injustice everywhere. Is this now? Is he going to come now? Allah knows best. We do not know. It could get worse, by the way. Like the concept of injustice could be even worse. Because at the end of the day, we're still practicing Islam in, in Western countries. We're still Muslims. There's still some sort of justice, certain thing. But then you see like, you know, foreign policies and what's happening to the Palestinians. Actually, what's happening to a lot of nations, the Congo, you know, what's happening in, in, in Sudan, in many, many places, Against Muslims and non-Muslims, by the way, there is a great deal of injustice. Is that it? Will the Mahdi now show up? Allah knows best. We do not know. He might. He might show up now. And he might show up in the future. We might not even witness him. We might die before he comes because it could get worse. The injustice that you're seeing right now, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's going to get worse. Because the Prophet said, injustice will be everywhere in the world. And Al-Mahdi will come and he will establish complete and ultimate justice to the degree look at this and we're talking about in the muslim society in muslim nations right because he will be the ultimate muslim leader and that's why because he will be the ultimate muslim leader what's going to happen a lot of people try to assassinate him even from the muslim leaders because they're going to be it's all about power to them they're going to be like wait our people will have allegiance to that one ruler who is not from my country and they will actually send an army to kill al-mahdi we're talking about Muslim nations here. Muslim countries. Imagine this. Because again, it's all about power to them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause earth to swallow that army. We talked about that. So my point is, when the Muslims try to pay zakah for our Muslims, right? Our Muslims who are in need, usually that's what we do in our time right now. And it has been since the time of the Prophet So when they try to pay zakah, they won't find poor Muslims on the face of the earth to pay zakah to. Can you imagine that? That's how just 
of a ruler, Al Mahdi will be. You can't, like the Muslims will look, hey, who is a Muslim in need of zakah, of our zakah across the world, in the world? And they will find none. All the Muslims will be flourished and, you know, they will, they won't need zakah money. Now, does that mean they got zakah before and they're well established? They're going to work and they're going to have equal opportunities if they work in, in under the government of Al-Mahdi. We don't know how it's going to be, but it, this is what's going to be. The Prophet predicted it. That means it will be a fact. So anyway, Al-Mahdi, we do not know if Al-Mahdi will show up, like I said, now or in the future. We do not know that fact. Uh, and we can't like just assume, oh, he's going to show up now. Yes, that situation is dire across the world. What's happening to the Muslims specifically and especially what's happening in Palestine. Yeah, we get that. But we cannot just say, oh, Al-Mahdi will show up now. We don't know and we cannot depend on Al-Mahdi showing up to establish justice. We have to try our best. Whether if we have political, you know, um, power, authority, if we have a platform like, you know, I have the podcast that I speak about, I even like, you know, do posts on Instagram to like raise awareness and make people understand what's happening. You could do whatever you can. You have money, you send charity uh, in the way that you know that it will reach those people, like you know, the, our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Like there are many ways. My point is you can't just sit and wait and say, Al-Mahdi will take care of it because that's that's not how a Muslim should think, right? We should be active. Also speaking about um, Al-Mahdi, now there's something very interesting uh, in pop culture. I mean, for, for many people, not for everyone, of course. That's kind of like a little funny, right? About Al-Mahdi. Which is, for those of you who watched uh, the movie Dune, at least part one, because I know part, part two did not come out yet. And in the movie Dune, there's a lot of, again, for those who watch, I know if you didn't watch Dune, then you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm, this is just a little very interesting observation that I noticed. And then I did a research on what I was kind of suspecting came out to be true, which is this. Uh, there was a lot of Arabic words that are being used in the first one in the movie. Uh, you know, like the word lisan al ghayib, which is literally means the tongue of the one from the outside, or the you know, from according to the movie, from the outworld. Um, and again, it, it matches the Arabic language. There's a lot of stuff, right? Uh, and uh, Bani Jesuits, the the, the 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 witches or whatever, the Bani Jesuits, right? They Bani literally means the the children of. Which is very very interesting, right? Again, in Arabic, this is there's a lot of Arabic kind of words, and of course, for those again who watch the movie, when once they go to the planet Arrakis, they the the women there are just covered, they're hijabis, right? They're wearing hijab, they're wearing like full on dresses, like Muslim dresses, Islamic dresses. It's very interesting, very very interesting, and um, uh, now. What I when I when I did the research now of course the the author of the books uh, Frank Herbert he published those around 1965 and basically he said in in some sort of an interview that he was influenced heavily by Middle Eastern culture by Islamic culture and it's very interesting right it's very very interesting actually to, towards the end of the 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 first part again the first movie. 
the character, whatever, that, that girl from the Fremen, she tells the main character, Paul Atreides, that's like, Paul Atreides is the name of our main character. Oh, you are the Mahdi. People say that you are the Mahdi. Literally saying in Arabic, Al Mahdi, you are the Mahdi. And of course, that's actually one of the things I was like, okay, they, they definitely took from our, from our like culture, from our like, you know, hadith, from our literature, basically. And of course, they tweaked it. They played with it like they always do, right? And they built this mythology around it. And uh, people are blown away. People are blown away. Like if you see the reviews of the first one and even the second one now, people are like, it's a masterpiece. The mythology is so deep. It's so rich. It's, it's a masterpiece. It's a piece of art. And they just simply took our culture and certain Islamic text and they kind of modified it as usual. And they tweaked it and they say, hey, here you go. Isn't that fascinating? And the same people would say, this is an art. This is a masterpiece, right? Those, the same people who say that, there are the people who bash the, the Muslim culture and the Islamic culture and all these things. So it's very interesting how this was taken from us and turned into a big kind of quote-unquote epic movie, right? Now, don't get me wrong. The movie itself, as a filmmaking, it's it's good. I'm not I'm not denying that. However, here's something very interesting, right? Now, th- the story of the movie is that people who uh, the, the 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 natives of planet Arrakis, which is uh, a sand. See, the this is very you're gonna see the stereotype now. The sand planet Arrakis. It's just little. That's why the hence the name Dune. Uh, and they have the, these spices that the whole ga- galaxy or the universe is like fighting over and they, you know, they send people and, 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 and like, you know, nations to go and cultivate all that, all these spices and they just, you know, ignore the, the natives of the planet, all these things, right? And again, it's very similar to today's world. Right, that's what's happening in, in with the Middle East. You know, they they go, they want to take oil, they try to make deals, they try to invade countries just to grab oil, just to steal oil, and to make people uh, on board with these processes. And I'm not trying to get political. I'm just describing the connection here. Uh, they tell people Muslims are terrorists. Islam is uh, it wants to kill us all. They want to, you know, they want they want to take away our freedom. So you better help us by your vote and your support when we go and attack those people because they're evil. They're bad people. We have to keep them there. And they basically create this mythology about uh, Muslims and the Middle East and and, and and Islamic cultures. You know that people are very bad, and uh, you just don't sympathize with them. Just let us do our job and let us take what we want to take, and we're fighting for your freedom, right? Very, and that's basically what the movie, at least part one, is is saying. Like they go there, they steal people's stuff, and then they. Now, of course, <laughs> the biggest difference is that Al Mahdi is not going to be some guy from the West who will come and liberate the Muslims. Al Mahdi will be a Muslim, an Arab who is from the descendant of the Prophet ﷺ. There's a big difference here between the games that, you know, how, again, they, they westernize certain certain things. But yeah, Al-Mahdi won't be from the West. He won't be an American. He won't be from Europe. He will be from the house of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet said that in an authentic hadith, you know, and he will have the same even name, Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Now, what's interesting also, and be very careful, because I read part like, summary of the books, the books will tell you that Al-Mahdi now is going to go crazy. 
and which is the Paul Atreides again, the same character, and he's gonna like you know have like some false prophecies and he's gonna lead the fremen that he will lead in the future to like go and kill billions of people across the galaxy by the way spoilers for the book it's not gonna happen in this movie i believe the one coming up uh if you just think that i'm spoiling something for you but it will happen in the in the book in the third book dune messiah anyway and they he will force them or he will convince his people the, the his soldiers his army to do quote unquote jihad jihad isn't mentioned in the book jihad word for word and because of that jihad they will go and kill billions of people and yeah and, and i you know how it how it is like oh they're fall they, they, those people will follow him and believe in him blindly you see what's happening the 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 kind of political connotation like muslims are you know following blindly their rules and that's why they're doing quote unquote jihad and it's very ridiculous and very insulting but again it's nothing new i just wanted to you for you to open your eyes to this i don't think this will happen in this movie i think they will hint at it based on reviews that they will hint at it but supposedly the third one will go crazy with this concept and again, it shows you how they, certain people, see the Muslims, right? They don't see the truth. They see what they want to see, and it's all politics to them. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know about this interesting little thing. So, after Al-Mahdi, there will be like a massive world war, we said. Like what the Prophet described as Al-Malhamatul Kubra, which is the greatest war of all time. So, can you imagine this? None of the wars you've heard about throughout history is going to be even close to that upcoming war, which is what people call the last world war on earth, basically. Because it will be a kind of an international war, right? And it will be a religious war. Uh, and we had we had this, we talked about, we had a whole episode talking about the last war on earth. And yeah, many people will die. The majority of mankind actually will die. The Prophet even said, every household on the face of the planet will lose family members to that war. Can you imagine? Every single household on the face of, Earth, on the face of this planet will lose family members to that war. That means it's going to be massive. It's going to be devastating. And that's, I mean, if you can see what's happening in the world right now, yeah, it's not a far fetch when you say that there is going to be a big war and every household will be affected by it. And uh, again, it will start between, you know, Muslims and Romans. I don't want to get into the detail of the war because it's already, again, in, in a lot of detail in, in, in an episode by the title of The Last War on Earth. So you can go back to it and listen to it. But my point is, once this war is over, Muslims, the third of the Muslims will win, the two thirds will die, or you know, one of cowards of them will actually escape the battlefield. We talked about that. One third will actually be martyred, and the last third will be from the converts. Imagine this for our brothers and sisters, the reverts of our brothers and sisters. Be proud because, and I'm not saying that that will be you, but I'm saying, like, look at this Islam is never about being born as a Muslim, being raised as a Muslim. That was never the case. Yes, it gives you more insight into the religion at an you know earlier age. But guess what? Most of the many times, actually, reverts who convert to Islam because they want to convert to Islam, not because they just want to get married. Which is there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying those who are truly interested in Islam and they revert to Islam, 
they are usually, usually more religious than people who were born as Muslims, believe it or not. And I, I even mentioned that before because they understand the value of Islam versus someone who just grew up as a Muslim. So they don't appreciate the value of Islam as much as someone who, you know, chose to change their lifestyle and become Muslims, right? So the reverts will be the ones to win that war, that final like war on earth. The reverts will be the ones to win it. <clears throat> and yeah, that's going to be the end of all technically the minor signs. Right after this, the Antichrist will show up during the time of Al-Mahdi, by the way. The Mahdi will still be alive, will still be leading the Muslims. The Antichrist will show up, will walk everywhere on earth, will cause, you know, will wreak havoc. A lot of people, the majority of mankind will follow him. This, this is just a fact. And we talked about why. Because people, I mean, look at look at us now. We're saying that we're almost, the Muslims are almost 2 billion people, but the planet is like 8 billion. So we're a quarter. We're barely a quarter, right? That means the majority, the three quarters of mankind are not Muslims. And again, with no disrespect, they're disbelievers in Allah and his messenger, which is there's nothing wrong with that. It's not offensive to them because they do not believe in Allah and they do not believe in his messenger, right? Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So to us, the majority of the world, the three quarters of the world are disbelievers. There's nothing wrong about that term, by the way, because a lot of people try to make it look like it's offensive term. It's not because we are disbelievers to them. We talked about that. So it makes sense that the majority of mankind will believe once the Antichrist show up that he is God. Because think about it. To the majority of mankind, God is a human being, right? Jesus, Isa alayhi salam. Ezra, Uthair, for, for, the, for the Jews. And they always wanted a Messiah who is powerful and strong like Moses. I'm talking about the children of Israel. And to them, that's why they rejected Isa alayhi salam because he was too soft according to their view, right? So when someone comes in powerful, Allah will give him the abilities to do a lot of things because like I said, the, the Antichrist will be the, mo the biggest test to mankind. The Prophet said in an authentic hadith, the biggest test that will ever face mankind will be the Antichrist. Imagine this. So of course, if you already have, like I said, in, in, in movies, they call Superman a god, right? They call they call uh, Thor, quote-unquote, a god, the god of thunder. To them, God is just a powerful human being. So when someone, think about it, wallahi, logically, the concept of God to many, to the majority of non-Muslims is someone who's powerful. A man who has superpowers, supernatural powers, yeah, that's God. Muslims, on the other hand, we know God is not. You can't even put God in a human category. God is unlike anything we've ever witnessed. Allah says Allah is unlike anything you've ever, anything you've ever even imagined. Like Allah did not give us even the feature of imagining Allah. Because who controls our imagination? It's Allah. Who controls our brains? Who gives us the intelligence and the imagination? It's Allah. So Allah did not even put it. Think about it this way. Allah didn't even put in our database, if you want to you know, think about it, in our mind, the capabilities of our mind to be able to imagine him. So don't even rest assured. You cannot imagine Allah. He does not look like a human. He has nothing. Like, okay, he has features. Like he has hands. He has feet. We talked about this. He told us that. But it's not like our hands and our feet. So my point is, the majority of mankind, they believe that God, Allah, is 
someone who could be human, who could look like a man with superpowers. So that's when the Antichrist will fit in. And that's why the majority of mankind will follow the Antichrist. Because again, the notion that he could be a man with superpowers and walk on water, like they say, or, you know, uh, resurrecting the dead. Allah will give him some of those abilities as a test. And even some of the weak Muslims will follow him. The Muslims won't be exempt. It will be a test for the Muslims as well. The ones with, you know, a weak, weak faith. So <clears throat> the Antichrist will show up. The majority of mankind will follow him. Uh, the rest will, you know, seek refuge. There will be a battle. He will try to enter Mecca and Medina. He won't be able to because they will be guarded by angels. Then he's going to move on to Jerusalem, which now if you pause here, the Mahdi will be in Jerusalem. It will be like his headquarters. That tells you what? Think about it for a second. That, that tells you that by the time of the Antichrist, Jerusalem will be conquered by Muslims again, will be taken back by Muslims. It will be a Muslim place, a Muslim headquarters, right? So that's, there is some, inshallah, you know, good, uh, good signs here from the story of the Prophet and from the prediction of the Prophet that Muslims will have control over Jerusalem during that time. Now, if we get it now, get it later, get it 50 years from now, 100 years from now, we do not know when this will happen, but we know that during Al-Mahdi, it will be, Jerusalem will be a Muslim state. Okay? So anyway, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send Isa alayhi salam, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, because he's not dead, as we all know, to attack uh, the Antichrist, and the battle will be won in literally two seconds. The Antichrist, once he sees Isa alayhi salam, once he sees Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, he will melt, and he will die. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will unleash, that, that. that is now the second major sign. The first one is Antichrist, second one is uh, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, being sent back to earth. The third one is the nation of Gog and Magog, a nation that will wipe out the entire planet and will leave a few people. There will be disbelievers who will survive and there will be a lot of believers who will survive because they will be hiding with Jesus Christ. Imagine this, Jesus Christ just beat the Antichrist, right? Then Allah say, oh no, you can't, you, you, you can't, you don't stand a chance against the nation of Gog and Magog, Juj and Majuj. Go and hide in that mountain and that will be your test. And of course, Isa alayhi salam will listen to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's what's going to happen. And Allah will cause their destruction by literally a worm called the Nagaf. Subhanallah. Then once they're destroyed, uh, long story short, again, these, these stories are in a lot of detail in the major signs. If you, can, if you didn't listen to those episodes, go back and listen to them. Allah will cleanse earth literally with rain earth will become clean again will become like this blessed land it will there was a lot of baraka baraka is blessings in uh, during the time of you know jesus christ now the time of jesus christ meaning what he will rule earth he will have a kingdom a human kingdom because he, he was never more than a human he was a blessed human an honored human because he was the prophet of allah but he's just a human right now he will rule the muslims as a leader, as a political leader, as a king, not as a prophet, because we all know that the final messenger and prophet of Allah was Prophet Muhammad Jesus Christ won't bring back any new religion. The final religion is the one that we're studying right now, Islam. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, will be following the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet He will be applying the Sharia of the Prophet in his kingdom. Subhanallah.
Then he will die a normal death after a few years. He will be buried. It is said that he will be buried next to the Prophet ﷺ. And as a matter of fact, there is a spot next to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ right now, as we speak, he's buried in Medina next to Abu Bakr, his best friend, and Umar ibn al-Khattab. May Allah be pleased with all of them. And there's a spot, they say, that it's kind of left for Isa uh, salam. We don't know if that will be the case or not, but that's what many scholars believe, right? Then people will go back into, now, after the death of Isa salam, people go back into committing major sins, being horrible, and the society, basically the human society will fall. When that happens, Allah will start send, sending cataclysmic signs, like the smoke, there will be a smoke that will surround earth for like 40 days, I believe, or something like that. And it will be uh, very suffocating for the disbelievers. And it will feel like just a flu or like a cough for the believers. Then Allah will cause three major like uh, uh, landslides or collapses that will happen um, that will you know, result to killing a lot of people. And again, these are like cataclysmic signs. This is not just a regular landslide. These will be major landslides. Uh, and then later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, cause the sun to rise from the west. And when that happens, that means that none of your deeds will be accepted anymore. Meaning what? If you did something wrong and then you witness the sun rising from the west, you cannot repent anymore. That's it. You, you've had your chance. Allah says, and Allah told us, this is like Allah is giving us a heads up. Once you see the sun rising from the west, no repentance will be accepted. And if you are not a Muslim and you are trying to become a Muslim, that also won't be accepted. Because it will be a clear sign and Allah won't you know, spoon feed you the signs to the degree that you can see the sun rising from the west. And you'll be like, oh, no, now I'm going to believe. No, too late. So once you see the sun rising from the west, no repentance no shahada will be accepted from anyone. Then a beast, an animal that will come out and will speak to people, will mark certain people. Again, that's another sign that nothing will be accepted. That's it. It will mark the believers from the disbelievers, and that's how they will be marked until the day they die or the day of judgment takes place if they're still alive. Then when that happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now will erase Islam from earth. Now there's no need for Islam because Think about it logically, right? If Allah marked the believers from the disbelievers, the wicked from the good doer, from the good doers, right? From those who do good stuff, and there's no repentance to be accepted, there is no shahada to be accepted. That's it, it's done now. Now it's the separation has happened. There's no need for Islam because no, there's no preaching anymore. There's no practicing anymore because that's it. That is the final act when it comes to mankind. So what would Allah do? Allah would cause, number one, all the Muslims to die by a wind that will be released from Yemen. Allah will cause a wind that will come out of Yemen to just softly go through earth and kill all the Muslims. Even if you have a tiny bit of Islam in your heart. You don't have to be a practicing Muslim. You don't have to be a great believer. If you have a tiny bit of Islam in you, believing in Allah and his messenger, look at the mercy of Allah. Just a tiny bit. Allah will cause that wind to immediately and fast, like in a, in like in, in a really quick way and in a soft way. Once you are hit by that wind, that's it. You're dead. Your soul will leave your body and go to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. 
to the degree that some people will be scared of that wind, that they will run into caves and those and that wind will follow them no matter what. It's wind. <laughs> you can't hide from wind, right? SubhanAllah. And it will cause the immediate death and the soft, again, like soft and very peaceful death to all the believers on earth. Now, once all the believers die, what's going to happen? Is there any need for Quran? Nobody's going to read it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will literally, look at this. All the words, will, the, the, the books of Quran that people will be using as just decoration, Allah will lift the words from the books. Not just like make the books disappear, to honor the Quran, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah won't leave the Quran. It's too pure for people who are complete disbelievers to just, you know, to be around. It is too pure for that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will lift the words from the Quran so people one day will just, you know, open it casually, not to read or not to be interested, and they will see that the books are empty. And those who remember from the disbelievers, the word Allah, for example, or subhanAllah, oh, I used to hear those people saying something about Allah. I don't know who that is. That's because Allah will lift the words of Allah. Every single word when it comes to Islam and Quran will be lifted from a sudur, like the Prophet said. It will be lifted from the hearts and the chests. Nobody will remember anything. Allah will literally cause them amnesia when it comes to Islam. Because again, they're too impure to know anything about the Quran or Islam. You know what I mean? Then, when that happens, Allah will initiate the final sign of the, um, uh, the final major sign of the Day of Judgment, which is a fire will come out of Yemen and it will start chasing people. People will be chased from everywhere. Imagine this fire will come out of Yemen and it will surround people across the globe. Now, we, we, like what we, and I mentioned this before, we believe that the people around the world will be located in maybe one continent or two, maybe max. We don't know yet, but like from, it's not, it was never explicitly, you know, explained or mentioned. But we believe that people won't be scattered like like us in seven continents right now. Or no, no, like people across the world will be gathered maybe in one or two lands, and that fire will surround them and it will lead them to a place called Ardul Mahshar. Ardul Mahshar. Ardul Mahshar is called the land of gathering. Now, since we are now talking about the day of judgment, there are, and I explained this before, two land of gatherings, two of them. One. That's a worldly one, one that will happen in the hereafter during the time of the day of judgment that actually we're going to have a full episode on. But that land of gathering, the worldly one is where everybody's going to land. And it's called a sham. It's called a sham. And it's, it's made of four countries, uh, Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. Again, Palestine Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. And you can add maybe a country or two like next to them, but this is where that what we call a sham, right? And basically the 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 sham will be the final land on earth where everybody will gather and everybody will die. Okay? So when everybody's pushed and people won't be able to like say, I'm not going because the fire will kill them. So the fire will be so sophisticated, and again it will be by the will of Allah, it will wait for people to camp. So that means people will travel from one country to another country to another country. So maybe they're going to be in the same continent or two continents and they will all gather inside of Hashem. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will command the fire to wait for them if they camp. But then if they slack, the fire will eat them, meaning it will burn them. So people will be so scared to slack. So they will just take a nap, get up and keep traveling. Imagine this. This will be like a road trip. Can you imagine? With a fire behind you and it will become so... This will... this. 
subhanallah, very, very supernatural thing that will happen will become so normal to people that they will get accustomed to that they will be selling and buying stuff so they could buy like a camel or a horse so they can ride. And also that's another indication that there will be no civilization, no technology in the future. Another thing, it, will never, it was never explicitly mentioned, but from all the hadith and all the, the stuff that we know about regarding the future, God, you know, have mercy on us, something will cause all technology to die. Whether it's a sun flare, whether it's a nuclear war, whether it's something natural that will happen that will cause all technology to, to die, we do not know, but it seems like, it seems like, again, there's no explicit text. It seems like there will be no technology, no cars, no planes, none of that. It will be very, you know, primitive. Again, if you want to call it primitive, like horses, even donkeys, like the Prophet said, people will use animals to travel. So Allah, make Allah make it easy on us and make us not witness those days will lie. May Allah make us not witness those days. And if, if, it, if it's our destiny to witness those days, may Allah make it easy on us during the hard, uh, that hard time. So anyway, yeah, so basically what's going to happen is everybody will gather in a sham, and this is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will initiate the day of judgment, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause what we know of the, 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 na the name of the angel who's holding something called the trumpet. Now, I will dedicate an episode, which will be very soon, about blowing in the trumpet, even though we covered it in the last season, in the season finale, because I have a lot of new information to add. There's a lot of new stuff to add. So I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to tell you that there's an angel that Allah assigned to end life on earth. Okay? There's an angel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assigned to end life on earth. How? By blowing in a trumpet, in a divine trumpet, a loud sound will come out from the heavens, and it will kill everyone and everyone will die. Every living creature will die. They will be shocked to death. And there might be exemptions. And I want to talk about that when I dedicate an entire episode. Again, to recap a little bit of what we talked about in the last season. But to add a lot of, a lot of more information. To And the reason why I didn't want to add that information in the last episode. Because if you guys remember, that episode had a lot to cover. And I didn't want to get into a lot of certain like, you know, opinions of scholars. So we're going to analyze this whole blowing of the trumpet on a high, on a bigger level, not a higher level, on a bigger level, because a higher level means more basic level, but no, on a more detailed level, because now we have the time, right? Back then I had to cover the fire from Yemen and the, you know, the, 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 people traveling and the, the entire like blowing in the trumpet and what happens after blowing in the trumpet but now inshallah we have the time to actually analyze because there's a lot of more information a lot of more stuff that i didn't tell you guys in the last season and inshallah i will tell you about them uh, in a few episodes from now so anyway just to make it like very short everyone will die that that we know of maybe someone or some creatures will be exempt from that but what we know is the, everybody who will be living at the time, all the terrible people, because the Prophet said, The worst of mankind. Remember, all the Muslims died before, right? With, with that soft wind. So now the worst of mankind are alive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause their destruction and they will hear that loud noise. They will be shocked to death and that will be it. And that will initiate the day of judgment. Now, before we talk about the actual events, we need to like have... 
There's a lot. Like, I think one of the most interesting introductions ever is the introduction about the Day of Judgment. Because the introduction about the Day of Judgment could take episodes, believe it or not. Just the introduction, not the actual events. Just the introduction is so fascinating. And I did a lot of, like I mentioned in the last episode, I did a lot of research. A lot of research. And a lot of mind-blowing facts about just the concept of the Day of Judgment that I guys want to talk to you about. I know this has been a very long introduction in itself and a recap, but again, I wanted everybody who doesn't know anything about the Day of Judgment to, you know, be caught up. And that will be the last recap, I promise. When it comes to the signs, uh, from now on, we're going to move on now to the actual events of the Day of Judgment. Okay? All right. Now, the Day of Judgment is one of the three fundamentals in Islam. Now, in Islam, we have the five pillars of Islam, right? The actions. And the five and the six believe uh, pillars in Islam. Again, Islam has five pillars when it comes to actions. As a Muslim, you have to do five things to stay as a Muslim, which is what shahada, right? T- testimony of faith, uh, uh, praying, uh, paying zakah, uh, fasting Ramadan, and doing hajj if you have the money. That Those are the five pillars of Islam. The six pillars of iman, of belief, Again, they are essential of you being a Muslim. Is believing in Allah, Iman Billahi wa and His angels, uh, and His books, and His messengers, and Iman uh, and belief in the Day of Judgment. Here we go, and believing in uh, destiny uh, or the predestination, the Qadr. Right? Those are the six pillars of faith. Six things that you must, you must, as a Muslim, believe in. It's not a, uh, these are not optional. The only thing that there's a leeway in is Hajj if you do not have money and if you cannot physically or mentally perform Hajj. That's the only thing that Allah is giving you uh, a way out because Allah is merciful. If you cannot do it, then you're not allowed to. Spe- by the way, same thing when it comes to all the actions. If you don't have money to pay zakah, you're not allowed to pay, you don't have to pay zakah. If you don't have uh, a physical, if, you, if, not, if you're mentally not there to pray, if you have any condition or anything like that, or if you physically can't stand in prayers, then you can sit. There's a lot of leeway when it comes to the action. And that's why I challenge every single human being who says Islam is difficult. Islam is too much. It's too harsh. What are you talking about? Allah is saying, if you can't do something, don't do it. And Allah is literally giving you a pass now. Whether you can or not, Allah knows that. It's, it's between you and Allah. You cannot fool Allah. You will be judged on the day. See, it's related to the day of judgment. Everything is related. You will be held accountable if you could. Actually, it's even more severe if you pretended that you couldn't because you think you can fool Allah. So whether you can perform any of the actions of the five pillars of faith, well, the first one is a given. You have to say the shahada. That doesn't require much. Just believe in Allah and his messenger. But the rest of the four, fasting, Ramadan, paying zakah, doing hajj, praying, all these, like the four pillars, if you cannot perform them, if you have a permanent ill, like if you have a permanent condition, Allah knows. And if you have a temporary situation, like for example, if you're traveling, Allah had have rules for you know combining prayers, shortening prayers. It's such a beautiful religion. Allah is so merciful that he said, if you can't do something, I'm not going to hold you accountable. If you cannot do it temporarily, 
I will let you do give I'll give you a license like for example traveling or if you're sick and you cannot fast you don't have to fast if you're sick to the degree that you cannot fast not just any sickness right if you're sick that you your life will be in danger if you fast then don't fast and then make it up later people who accuse Islam of being so difficult and so harsh you don't know what you're talking about because you truly do not know Islam Islam is the religion that tells you if you can do something you're required to do if you're supposed to like if, if there's a mandatory act and you can do it then do it you have to do it you'll be held accountable and if you cannot do it temporarily wait and then do it later when it comes to uh, fasting for example or paying zakah if you don't have money now Allah's not there's actually minimum you have to have what's equivalent of like $5,000 in your savings not savings account because that has interest like savings period if anything above $5,000 you have to pay zakah on Right, like if you have five thousand dollars, you have to pay zakah for, and then five and up, five thousand dollars and up. But if you have, like, for example, two thousand dollars for a year, you're not required to. Guys, do you know that Islam is not a harsh religion? It is the most. It's it's perfection. Well, why it's perfection? But anyway, I don't want to get on a tangent now. So. The scholars have summarized the fundamentals of Islam in three. Uh, kind of bullet points or three things belief in Allah belief in the prophets of course for us mainly believe we have to believe in all the prophets but for us mainly following uh, the commands of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu which is the sunnah so believe in Allah believe in the prophet Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and believe in the day of judgment those are the three fundamentals of Islam now you know why I'm saying every topic we've studied will relate to the day of judgment it is in it's part of the three fundamentals of Islam. Belief in Allah, belief in the Prophet, belief in the Day of Judgment. Because hear, hear me out. If you don't believe in Allah, then you can't believe in the other two, right? Allah is the fundamental, the basis of our belief. Because who will be judging us on the day of judgment? Allah. If you don't believe in Allah, you don't care about the day of judgment. You don't care about the prophets because you don't believe about the ones, the one who sent them in the first place, right? Believe in the Prophet ﷺ, you cannot go to Jannah, you cannot actually survive the Day of Judgment without the commands of the Prophet ﷺ. He conveyed the, the message of Islam to us. So again, it doesn't work. And if you do not believe in the Day of Judgment, then you have no purpose in life because you don't believe in Jannah and Hellfire, in, in Paradise and Hellfire. You, know, you, you do not believe that you will ever be held accountable. Then your Islam is incomplete. So when I tell you that, now you have to believe in all the belief systems like the angels, the, but I'm saying the fundamental, these are different things. This is a different category. The fundamental of Islam. Islam is built on Allah, prophets, and the Prophet is specifically our Prophet Muhammad and the Day of Judgment. Because every single thing we do will have an impact on the Day of Judgment. Every single thing we do will have an impact on the Day of Judgment. You know, like, um, imagine this. Our, every, every single human being on earth, by the way, you know, we live different lives. You and I, we've never met, for example. You guys, you're listening to me right now. We've never met. We don't know each other on a personal level. My life, 
and your life are completely different. You have your own thing, I have my own thing, and we might never meet in person, inshallah, hopefully in Jannah, if we don't meet in person, then in Jannah, but we might never meet in person in this life. You know what's common between you and me? Beside that, we worship the same God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we follow the same religion. Our lives will intersect. This is a fact. Since the beginning of time, since the creation of Adam السلام, to the last person, the last human being who will die. And all in between. Our lives will intersect, will be connected on the day of judgment. Think about it. Everything will happen on the day of judgment will be witnessed by every single human being who was ever born in at the same time in the same location. Imagine all of us standing, standing in the land of gathering on the day of judgment. All of us, the entire human population since the creation of Adam, السلام, peace be upon him. I never met you. You never met me, right? We're both going to be standing in the same land. Can you imagine this? In the same place. Witnessing what's happening at the same time. So in a poetic way, our lives will all intersect in that one day. And it won't be just a one day, just to, to make it clear. It's just the, the concept of saying that day of judgment, this is the day of the beginning of the reckoning. But it will be longer than that. We're going to get into how long and all these things in, in a little bit. But my point is, it's very interesting that you, me, or someone who lives in... In, in the North Pole, someone who lives in the South Pole, we've never met. We have nothing in common in terms of physically. We've never met. I've never seen you even, you know, by chance or through a coincidence or whatever, right? We've never met. We don't have anything physically in common in terms of like meeting one another. That's what I mean. We will meet on the Day of Judgment. And we will, imagine this, we are watching the same event taking place at the same time. It will be an event, it will be a. This is going to be the biggest event by miles. You can't even compare the event of the Day of Judgment to any like significant event that ever happened to, to mankind. All of mankind, including the prophets and the messengers, including the angels. So plus, I mean, angels are not mankind, but I mean, plus angels, plus the jinn. You will be seeing jinn, my dear. You will see the devil in their true form on the Day of Judgment. And you wouldn't care. Don't worry. Don't worry. It won't be scary. It won't be scary. They're going to be scared as much as you are on a day of judgment. Can you imagine? They will be terrified. Every single thing that used to scare you will be to people in power. Everybody will be terrified of what they're witnessing. And we will all be witnessing it at the same time. Now, an interesting fact the people of Quraysh, remember we said the, the three fundamentals of Islam are believing in Allah, believing in the Prophet wasallam, and believing in the Day of Judgment, right? Now, an interesting fact, the people of Quraysh, the family or the people of the Prophet wasallam, remember they were disbelievers, they were mushrikul, they associated things with Allah, like idols with Allah. They rejected two of the three fundamentals. They rejected two of the three fundamentals we just mentioned. They believed in Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah. In the chapter of Luqman, verse number 25. 
Allah saying to the Prophet if you ask your people, those who are fight you, fighting you in your religion, the people of Quraysh, who created the heavens and the earth, they will say Allah. They will say Allah, who created the heavens and the earth, they will not deny that it was Allah. However, they believed that Allah had associates, and that's what made them disbelievers. Right, so anyway, so those the, the the people of Christ they rejected two of the three fundamentals of Islam. They only believed in Allah, but then they rejected the prophethood of the Prophet and all the prophets, and they rejected the Day of Judgment. They did not care about the Day of Judgment, and that made them complete disbelievers. You cannot believe in one of the three fundamentals, or you cannot believe in two of the three fundamentals. If you believe in only two or only one, you're not a Muslim. You're not a Muslim. It's fundamental, right? You have to believe in the three fundamentals. Beside, you have to perform the five pillars of, of Islam and the six, believe in the six pillars of Iman, of, of belief. Now, the three fundamentals of Islam, especially, especially the day of judgment concept, is actually what separates the Abrahamic religions from what we call the Darhamic religions which is the non-abrahamic now the abraham let me let me give you just a little bit piece of, of knowledge the abrahamic religions as what we mainly know uh, in a chronological order judaism christianity and islam those are the abrahamic religions okay they are basically believe in the god of abraham which is ibrahim salam. the darhamic religions are they don't believe in that they have other beliefs we're going to talk about that now Let's go back to the Abrahamic religion. So they believe in the God of Abraham. That's the first fundamental. They believe in the prophets. That's the second fundamental. And again, they have different versions of the prophets. Remember, Judaism, they don't believe in Jesus Christ and they do not believe in Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Christianity, they do not believe in Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu It's like they don't believe in what comes after them. You know what I mean? But they believe in the prophets. Okay. And of course, they believe in the day of judgment. They have different versions of the day of judgment. And well, if you think about it, the only logical version is the Islam. SubhanAllah. And we're going to talk about that. But anyway, that's what separates, again, the Abrahamic religions from the Dorhamic religions. So Islam and Christianity, they also, they almost have the same concept. They almost have the same concept with different kind of versions, again, like I said. But the, in, like conceptually, the concept itself is almost similar. Judaism, however used to have the same concept like Islam and Christianity, but it changed. It's actually no longer a fundamental of their belief. Again, when it comes to the Day of Judgment, in Judaism, it's no longer a critical, essential part of their belief. Now, some of them still believe in it, but not the majority. You get it? And as a matter of fact, what's really interesting about this is that they believed that they shall be punished only for 40 days. So the only thing they believe about the Day of Judgment is we will only be punished for 40 days. What is that about? It's actually in the chapter of Baqarah, verse number 80. The, the, the children of Israel, they said, we're only going to be punished in hellfire for only 40 days, technically. Why? Why 40 days? For one simple reason Remember And we talked about this In the children of Israel episode When Moses Peace be upon him Went to speak to Allah For 40 days They decided to build uh, A calf What we call The golden calf And they started Worshipping it Until he came back And he basically destroyed it And they apologized Or whatever And they tried to Some of them repented 
But they believed during that 40 days because they were straight up idol worshippers at the time, they will be punished for 40 days, for those 40 days. Very interesting, right? So anyway, that's what they believe in, but of course that's not the case. Now, if we move on to the Dharamic religions, right? They believe in morals, reincarnation, but they don't believe in God, no prophets. There's no prophets. There's no day of judgment for sure. So they actually reject all three fundamentals of the Abrahamic religions. And the Dharamic religions, just to give you an example, they're like Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, you know, etc. Like whatever. Like those those religions. And they mainly now they have a a different type of the day of judgment. They have something that it's alternative of the day of judgment. Like what? You guys could guess. Like karma. Now, the concept of karma is what? Is that if you do something good, something good will happen to you. And if you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. Now, the problem that we have with karma as Muslims is that karma is basically the universe is either punishing you or rewarding you. You know, like it's not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not that there will be a day of judgment. It's not like there is a wisdom and all these things. No, 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 no. This is basically the universe is telling you, hey, you did something good. Okay, I will reward you. That's called karma. And it will happen, you know, through whatever. Like, you know, when a situation you, uh, you know, you help out someone who's in need and then all of a sudden you get a raise at work. People say, well, this is karma right there, right? And the same thing, like you, you know, you abuse someone or whatever, and then you eventually get fired, for example, and uh, karma right there. And we as Muslims uh, do not believe in this version of karma. Karma in itself, even the concept of itself, it's not an Islamic concept. You know, we have something similar, but it's not actually karma because karma, again, it's the universe is rewarding you. And it's like, the, in, it, like there's no someone, there's no entity that's rewarding you. It's just the universe. It's like, it's like not, I don't want to say random, but it's like the universe. It's like happening without any one in control, right? It's just, you do good. The law of the universe based on karma is you will be rewarded. You do bad. The law of the universe based on karma that you will be punished, right? Now, unfortunately, a lot of Muslims believe in karma. And I I, I mean, I, I get it. it. They don't believe in it like in a very direct way that they believe that the universe, but the concept of karma, come on, like I've had so many settings where I would talk to, you know, fellow Muslims and they'd be like, yeah, it's karma. And I'm like, you guys know karma doesn't exist. It's actually not real according to our belief. Now, what is it, what we believe in close to that which is the actual fact or the accurate version is you do something good, Allah will reward you. You do something bad, Allah will punish you or will make you pay for it. My point is Allah is the one in control of our kind of, uh, what's the word? The consequences, the concept of the consequences. That's uh, This is up to Allah. This is The, the universe has no control. You, you get it. There's no such thing as the universe will punish you, the universe, whatever. No. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here's the flaw. Let me tell you this from a logical perspective. Here's the flaw in the concept of karma as we know it. A lot of people do evil stuff, right? A lot of people. And they get away with it. And they die even some, many of them die a peaceful death. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? So the universe made a mistake and never punished those people. And a lot of people who are innocent, who are, you know, good doers who do great things 
they live a miserable life. They live a terrible life. They are oppressed all the time. And sometimes they die a terrible death. Look at our brothers and sisters in Palestine. You know, their houses are on fire. They're burned. They're dying. You know, how do you explain that from a karma perspective? How? Because karma says there's no day of judgment. You, you guys get it. The, 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 the balances and checks and, you know, the consequence, everything happens in this life. That's hence karma, right? So if you do not believe in a day of judgment, how, how is karma fair then? Think about it. How is it fair? When evil people get away with things and they live a happy life and then even they die a peaceful death. And again, when good people, pure people live a terrible life and they even die a terrible death. How do you explain that? From a karma perspective, you cannot look at this now. That's why, alhamdulillah, Islam is the truth. Look at this. The only way to explain such thing is that there has to be a day of judgment. There has to be a day of judgment. There has to be. Because if you got away now, what's going to happen on the day of judgment? Oh, you're going to pay for it. Oh, you're going to pay for what you did. You will be held accountable. You will be punished. And if you lived a miserable life while you're a good human being, don't worry about it. The day of judgment is here to elevate your status, to give you your rights back. SubhanAllah. So the concept of karma itself just doesn't make any sense. Wallahi, logically speaking, because it cannot explain those who get away with things. Basically, it cannot explain those who live unfairly in this life, whether they are oppressors or they are oppressed. So that's why... Muslims, we do not believe in the concept of karma as it is well known to the world. That doesn't exist. But what we believe in is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge of giving you good things if you do good things, giving you bad things if you do bad things. And if he doesn't do this in this life, there's a wisdom and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is waiting for the ultimate judgment or the ultimate day, which is the day of judgment. That makes way more sense than the concept of karma itself. Anyway. Another thing is the concept of reincarnation. They believe that, again, this is a, another version of the Day of Judgment. If you're a bad person, you will be reincarnated. Your soul will leave your body when you die. And then the soul will come back into a cockroach, for example, because you are a terrible and evil human being. Right? And if you are something, like if you did good and you die, your soul will maybe come into a bird or some other, another human being or something that someone with power or, you know what I mean? So they believe in a type of judgment, but they believe that it, there's no such thing as like a day that everybody will stand and they will get punished or will get rewarded or they don't believe in that. They believe in a very kind, it's like, uh, with all the respect, but it's like fairy tales. You know, we do not believe in reincarnation. We do not believe in karma as they believe in. We believe in a version of karma which is related to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In reincarnation, there's, it's not even, not even close, right? Uh, so they do not believe in that concept of one day which will have the conclusion of all of our deeds. They do not believe in that, which wallahi, wallahi, if you think about it. The concept of one day. Everyone who escaped doing evil things and who got away with it and never held it was never held accountable. And they will be held accountable on that day. Everyone who suffered, our dear brothers and sisters, suffering across the world, especially in Gaza and Palestine. There will be a day that they will be honored and they will get massive rewards. That makes more sense. 
Wallahi logically, you don't have to believe in Islam to believe that this makes more sense than living in a cockroach as a cockroach and then when you die you reincarnate yourself and then or you get reincarnated into a bird what if that bird gets hit by a truck uh, it's just like okay you're doing great things you're gonna get into a, become a bird and then once you become a bird it's just liberating because you can fly now what if you die you know what I mean? There's there's a lot of flaws. And again, logical flaws. I'm not even talking about a religious because religiously, there's no basis to you know any of this. So anyway. Now, we need to understand that every single thing we do in life, every single decision we make, every single action we take leads to the day of judgment. And it will impact your day of judgment. Uh, you know, like if you do something, it will impact your day of judgment significantly. And guess what's the problem? What's the biggest problem about that? There's no second chances on the day of judgment. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, my dear brothers and sisters in humanity, if you're not a Muslim listening, on the day of judgment, there are no second chances. You can say, oh Allah, let me go back to life. There's no life to go back to. And do better. You can't do that. Your second chance could be given right here, right now. You can actually have multiple second chances as long as you're alive. In this life. Once you leave this life, your chances are gone. Game over. Game over. Second chances will be given as long as you're alive until the day you die, until the moment you die, by the way. Allah's willing to give you second chances. Allah's willing to accept your repentance. What a great and a merciful Lord, Wallahi, Allah is and will always be. That if you have few minutes and you repent to Allah. By the way, there are stories of people taking the shahada right before they die. But don't count on that because some people die without being able to take the shahada. It all depends on the intentions and Allah will allow you to do certain things based on your intentions that Allah can only see. Only Allah can see. My point is, my dear brothers and sisters, do not keep pushing it. I know a lot of people will be like, inshallah, I'll be better maybe later. Inshallah, I'll do better. Inshallah, I'll do better. And then they bank on Allah is the ultimate merciful. It doesn't work that way. Allah is the one telling you it doesn't work that way. There are no second chances. People will come to Allah literally on the day of judgment and they will say, Oh Allah, send us back to this life. Kill us and send us to this life. And we will do better. And Allah will say what? This is it. This is it. There is no sending back. There is no life. It's not like Allah is going to send you back in time. Life is over. It's done. So be wise, my dear brothers and sisters. And I'm talking to my, about, well, I'm talking to myself as well. Actually, before even any of you, I'm talking to myself. Be wise with your time. Be wise. Because a lot of people waste time in doing a lot of bad things. Banking on, they will be better in the future, but then they might die in, in, in a few moments from now. Death, by the way, has nothing to do with age. Yes. It's more common for older people to die because their time comes naturally. But you could die while you're young. And come on, we, we're witnessing this. People in their 20s die. People in their like 15 years, 16 years old dying. 
many of them. I know, I know someone, a, a far family uh, relative, who literally he was in in in, in medical school, uh, and he uh, had no conditions, no medical conditions. Will lie, as far as I know. Again, and one day he was getting ready to go out with his friends, and he was like, you know, getting dressed and whatever, and he dropped dead. He had not a single complaint medically or health wise. He was young. He was in college, and he dropped dead. It's not about old age. It's not about having some sort of terminal disease. It's not about that. Yes, those things, of course, lead to death for the most part. However, you could die for no reason. You could go to sleep and never wake up. Simple. I've known. Again, I have a coworker, coworker, who literally many couple of years ago, uh, she went to sleep and then she did not wake up. And people were like, her family. Well, I remember when they were talking about it, like there, it was it was mind boggling to them. Like how how she was not sick, but they don't understand that sickness has nothing to do with it. If your time comes, if it's written for you to die at a at the age of like 30, 25, whatever, you will die. Whether by a medical condition or not, you will die regardless. No one can protect you from death. So my point is, there are no second chances on the day of judgment. Take your second chances right here, right now. You know, uh, like I remember, uh, I know a few Muslims who were celebrating uh, Valentine's Day. And I went and I I spoke to them. I was like, guys, uh, and and like I said, you know, from delving into Islam thoughts, inshallah, I will have... A full episode talking about Valentine's Day. I'm, I'm very. I want to talk about it, but I was telling them, um, guys, why are you celebrating this? This day is actually evil in in its origins. Like it's actually it's not just a pagan celebration. It's a pagan celebration that was adopted by the Christians, and even until this day, by the way, some strands of Christianity they reject to celebrate that day because they know that it has a pagan origins. It's a pagan holiday. And it's filthy holiday, to be honest. It's like very sexual, uh, not in a halal way. And Muslims around the world are celebrating that day. And when you say, why are you celebrating that day? They say what? Well, it's not a religious holiday, so I'm allowed to celebrate it. It's a cultural holiday. My dear brothers and sisters, what are you doing? As Muslims, we should be more bright. We should not follow the herd. We should not be she- like. I'll, I'll be honest. We're like the sheep. Everybody's celebrating. I will look odd if I don't celebrate. And that is the problem, by the way, with modern quote unquote modern Muslims. They wanna fit in, and we talked about this numerous times. They wanna fit in, and they feel like they they, they feel weird not to celebrate Valentine's Day. A day that is evil and it's actually inception from day one. It's It's been evil. Going and buying flowers, taking their loved ones on a quote-unquote date and having a blast. And, you know, romantic movies, they get released on that day. MashaAllah. So I remember I talked to some of the people that I know and I was criticized for that. I mean... In a respectful way, I was criticized, but however, I was still criticized. And I was about to tell them the full story and how it contradicts our Islamic belief. And they're like, we got it, we got it, we know, we know, I don't want to hear it. 
Come on, Wael, please don't, don't, come on, don't ruin it for us. Wallahi, I was told that. In a way, yeah, in a way, don't ruin that day for us. You're ruining it for us. Now, fast forward to the day of judgment. What did that day do to you and how will it help you on the day of judgment while you're standing in front of Allah? How celebrating a pagan celebration, a filthy, like, just be honest, it was disgusting, celebration will help you. And how will you make an excuse and how will you justify yourself standing in front of Allah? And don't worry, you won't be able to lie. If you can lie in this life, you can never lie on the day of judgment. How will you justify this and be like, hey, I was told, because you'll be asked, you were told by one of your friends to not celebrate it and you were told why and you ignored it explain yourself what will you say to Allah oh Allah send me back and I won't celebrate it too late you did and the problem is you knew the problem with that day and how how badly it contradicts our belief and our values as Muslims I get it I get it a lot of people want to feel the love in the air I get it a lot of people feel like I'm a party pooper, if you want to call it. When I tell them, please just celebrate with your spouse. On any other day, you should celebrate all the time the love that you have. By the way, Islam doesn't tell you to not be romantic. As a matter of fact, the Prophet ﷺ was the most romantic man among his friends. He was literally would dedicate like an hour of his day, every single day to sit and talk to whoever. you know. He had multiple wives, as we know. We talked about that. But whatever the house that he's in, he would sit and talk and listen and make jokes and make like romantic gestures. And we know this about the life of the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't celebrate it in one day because the Prophet ﷺ knew better not to celebrate this one random day because the Prophet ﷺ told us what? The only two days that Allah blessed us with to celebrate on an annual basis is what? The two Eids, the two Eids, the one, the Eid al-Fitr, the Eid after Ramadan, and the Eid al-Adha, the, the Eid uh, uh, during the Hajj time, or after the Hajj time, right? The day of Arafah. These are the two blessed Eids. When you know, sacrifice the lamb and whatever, that's the, the Eid al-Adha. And on a weekly basis, Friday is our weekly holiday, weekly celebration. The Prophet said, because someone said, Wait, can we have a celebration? Because we used to have a, this celebration before Islam, and it's a cultural one. It's, it's not a, a religious one. And the Prophet responded by saying this, Allah blessed you with two days. Why would you want more? The best two days when it comes to celebration are the two Eids. And the best day to celebrate on a weekly basis is Friday. What's wrong with you? But no, 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 no. You want more. You want one day to celebrate uh, love, and you want one day to celebrate a mother when you should celebrate your mother every single day. And we want one day to celebrate the father because, again, you should celebrate your father every single day. It's just a weird thing that we started creating. And now, Mother's Day is different. Father's Day is different. But Valentine's Day? Come on. If you research the origins of that day, it is completely against Islamic values. But anyway, my point is, you tell people this and they see you as dark spirited and you don't have, you know, there's no fun in you. There's nothing. And you just want us to just like sit in misery. It's very ironic. I literally just told them you can celebrate with your spouse every single day if you want. 
Make it special day every single day. Do it on a weekly basis. If it's too much, you know, it's going to cost you too much. Make it on a monthly basis. You don't have to wait one year to celebrate one day that it's a pagan holiday. But then again, at the end of the day, on the day of judgment, how are you? You you feel happy now, right? You feel the love in the air now. And I, don't get me started on, oh, may Allah have mercy on all of us, this like Muslim dating apps that nobody actually follows any halal rulings when it comes to, did they go out, they go have fun, and they just ditch one another. Like, how shameful are we as a nation that now you have Muslim women coming out on social media saying, my boyfriend, and Muslim guys, oh, my girlfriend. How disgusting and low. By the way, the concept of dating didn't even exist in this country the way it exists now. And I'm talking about in the West, not even in a Muslim country. Like 60, 70 years ago, you know what was dating? It was a halal dating. You like someone, you go and talk to her family, they send a chaperone with you. If she's good enough, you marry her. You know this. This is not like a, a, a mystery. This is not like a secret. That's how the countries in the West used to operate when it comes to a man and a woman being together. And now Muslims are indulging in haram relationships. And I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying the status of the world we live in, it's just declining, my dear brothers and sisters. And it frustrates me because people don't know enough about the Day of Judgment. They don't. They think they will get better tomorrow. I'll be a better Muslim tomorrow, inshallah, and tomorrow never comes. For many people, I'm pretty sure that tomorrow comes for a lot. But I've heard stories that tomorrow never came for a lot of people. And again, same thing when I talk to people about usury. You tell people, hey guys, I know you want to buy a house so bad. I know you want to buy a car so bad. But just don't indulge in usury, right? And they'd be like, oh, come on, man, I have no other choice. Come on, don't, don't, don't be uptight. Don't be uptight. Be like, guys, come on, there are Islamic solutions when it comes to mortgage. Yeah, but it's too risky and, you know, you, you, they, they deal with you as you're renting and you don't gain, like, you know, capital. And no, 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 no. It's just this is a lot understands. A lot understands. Even though it is said that it is a major sign, whether you are paying usury, which is the, by the way, usury is financial interest. Whether you're paying the financial interest, whether you're receiving it, you are equal in the sight of Allah when it comes to sin. But no, nobody cares. Then on a day of judgment, as we will learn what will happen to those who indulge in usury, period, any type of usury, any form of usury, again, like I said, whether paying it, whether receiving it, whether actually witnessing the contract, being a, a, like an official witness of the contract, or uh, being the writer of the contract, all four of these categories are equal in the sight of Allah, according to a hadith by the Prophet What are you going to say to Allah? Oh Allah, I needed a house. How did the house help you now on a day of judgment? Oh Allah, I needed a brand new car. How did the car help you on a day of judgment? And the crazy part is, there are alternatives. It's not like there aren't. But again, what are you going to do on the Day of Judgment? So the Day of Judgment, and again, is simply the conclusion of existence. It is the final chapter. There is nothing after that, by the way. there is, Of course, there is. There is eternity. But in terms of like good and bad and deeds and bad deeds, there is none of that. 
your deeds that you committed, good or bad, in this life will affect you for eternity on the day of judgment and afterwards. You know, like when you watch a TV show and they say there is this like uh, series finale, not the season finale, the series finale. This is when you watch a show. This is the final episode. This is going to be epic, right? Seriously, and I'm not trying to compare the Day of Judgment to like a serious finale, but I'm just trying to make you understand in a worldly kind of, in a worldly way from a worldly example that like everybody's anticipating like what's going to happen. We know that all the bad guys will be punished. All the good guys will be redeemed and, you know, they will be rewarded. And it's this like massive event for a show that you've been watching, you know, for a long time. Same thing. The Day of Judgment is literally the finale of this life. The finale of the life of every living being who was ever created. It will be massive. It will be a like it's truly the only biggest event of all time. There's no event bigger than that. Because in or on the day of judgment, insane things will happen, by the way. As we will unfold, inshallah. Also, we need to know that every little action every little detail the things that you thought was very subtle and you got away with it with in a very subtle way or the thing that you were deprived from subtly any little thing again like at the tiniest action or the tiniest situation that took place will be settled on the day of judgment and you need to understand this when you will stand and come in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, your wealth, your status in society, your family name, your children, your car, the, the size of your house, none of that will save you. I repeat, none of that will save you if you are a bad human being. And none of that will affect you if you're a good person. Now, if you used your wealth... If you use your family name, your status, to encourage goodness, to help Islam, to support Muslims, to support even non-Muslims who are in need, to do good deeds for the sake of Allah, not for fame, not for worldly gains, for just the pleasure of Allah and to enter Jannah, oh, that will save you. So, subhanAllah, what we own in this life, think about it this way, could be one of two things. Either, as a matter of fact, let's say three things, okay? Three things. It could be, it could be one of three things, I mean. It could be something that will help us survive the day of judgment by using it and utilizing it for the sake of Allah, like our wealth, our family name, our status in society, all these, our position and power, whatever. So that is the best case scenario. There's the middle one, which is you're a bad human being, but you had a lot of wealth. Right, and it won't do anything for you. You won't be saved because of your wealth, because of your family, because everything that you own, everything that we own in this life, was given to us by Allah. So it's not like you can tell Allah, "Oh Allah, I have all this time. You know, I'm I'm a big deal. I used to be a big deal when I was alive. I used to have billions and billions of dollars." Allah will be like, "Yeah, I know. I gave it to you." That was my gift to you that you abused or you didn't even use. It doesn't have to be abused. You didn't even use for the sake of Allah. And you, comp- 
you know, continued your, your, your transgression. You didn't even believe in me. You didn't even worship me. So yeah, I know you have all that. It was my doing. I gave that to you. Allah won't be impressed with what you have because Allah gave you everything you have. That is the middle one. That basically their money won't save. Won't save them. The third category, the third one is someone who used their power, someone who used their family name, their status in society, their wealth, everything they own to do evil. Oh boy. So your wealth could be a double-edged sword, right? It could literally make you go to hellfire instead of paradise. If you're a Muslim, of course. You abused your, your power. You abused your status. You abused your wealth. Guess what? Well, it's going to backfire on a day of judgment. So we all wish that we are from the first category. But by the way, you can come and tell me, well, but what if I don't have any wealth? Well, that's great. Then that means it's all about your deeds now. And if you have even a little bit of money, a little bit of surplus, how did you use it? You know, People don't understand, and Allah says this, by the way, um, in the chapter of Hadith, verse number 10. Allah is saying, why don't you pay charity for the sake of Allah? Because Allah will inherit everything on earth and in the heavens. Well, I think about that statement, that verse. Again, the chapter of Hadith, verse number 10. Allah saying, why don't you pay money for those who re reject to pay charity for the sake of Allah? The Muslims who reject to pay zakah, who reject to pay uh, sadaqah. Allah saying, why don't you want to spend for the sake of Allah? Allah will take your money anyway. Allah saying, because you will die. And your children will die. And their children will die. And their children will die. And eventually Allah will inherit everything on earth including your wealth, your land, and everything in the heavens. It's Allah, it's Allah's property in the first place. And because every single one of us will die sooner than later, some of us sooner than later, some of us will die, you know, maybe God knows how many years from now, and eventually all of mankind will be completely dead after the blow in the trumpet. Who will be the only one alive? Who would have power? Because we don't know, some maybe angels will be exempt. Allah will be the only king, the only powerful entity, and has always been. Like you can't compare any king of earth to Allah. But Allah is saying, I will inherit the earth and the heavens because it's mine. All of you will be dead. Anyone who owned the land will be dead. You know, the fighting, they're trying to kick the Palestinians out of their homes. And they're trying to settle in their homes, right? They will all die, including our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Then who will own that land afterwards? It's Allah. It's Allah. So Allah is saying, Why don't you spend for my sake? Because I'm taking that wealth anyway after you and every generation that comes after you from your family will die. It's all going to come back to me. I gave it to you and it will come back to me. So why don't you be smart and spend it for my sake and gain the rewards while you're alive and instead of gaining nothing, absolutely, and actually sinning, if you don't pay zakah, you're a sinner if you have the money, instead of actually committing a major sin when you die, just spend it for my sake. Now I'm taking it anyway.
سبحان الله Also on the day of judgment Oppressors will be judged and punished In the court of Allah In the court of Allah Because on the, like right here right now We have courts everywhere In every country, in every city, whatever They could make mistakes If they don't have enough evidence If the evidence is manipulated if, you see, We hear about mistakes happening In the, you know, in the justice Whatever court system all the time But the court of Allah Oh no mistakes As a matter of fact Allah says There is no appeal To his ruling on the day of judgment Because like right now You could be you know You could get uh, some sort of uh, Sentence or whatever And you could appeal That verdict right You could make an appeal Your your, your lawyer can make an appeal Guess what Allah saying There is no There is no one to appeal after my ruling on a day of judgment Ya Allah So if Allah says you're an oppressor And you will be sent to hellfire Not a single lawyer From any species Jinn, angels, humans No one can appeal that decision That ruling by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That's why Be wise now my dear brothers and sisters Now the oppressed on the other hand So that's for the oppressor Now the oppressed will be honored And compensated in the court of Allah And they will be given their rights Those that you see Who are oppressed everywhere They will Take their rights back from their oppressors On the day of judgment In the court of Allah all the evil scheming and plotting all the you know what we witnessing right now all the people in power governments plotting and everybody can see it but nobody can do anything we do we try to do our best but at the end of the day they're still the decision makers oh on the in the court of allah they will be very insignificant it will be truly humiliating for them they can't do anything they can't speak لا يتكلمون إلا من أذن له الرحمن وقال صوابا. Nobody will be given a permission to speak unless Allah gives them the permission. No one will be allowed to speak unless they're given the permission by Allah subhanahu wa taala. All tyrants, oh ya Allah, will be humiliated, and all those who are humiliated and wrongfully. You know, accused of things in this life will have their status elevated on the day of judgment. Ya Allah, I'm telling you, like I've been always saying this since the inception, since the beginning of our our podcast. On the day of judgment, there the the justice that will take place on the day of judgment will be flawless. You will witness, you and I on the day of judgment will witness flawless justice by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Flawless justice by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, most people don't like to talk about death in this life. Or even remember it. Wallahi. It becomes very depressing to a lot of people. Because for the most part, it means losing their lives or the, 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 the lives of their loved ones in this life. And it's just a depressing picture that they cannot um, you know, imagine. Or they cannot speak about or they don't want to talk about. You know, like, uh, I've been in many settings when we talk about death and everybody's like, can we not stop? Like, 
let's just you know let's just enjoy our you know setting without just talking about death please seriously it bothers me and by the way this is a known thing this is a human nature so a companion came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi it's a very interesting hadith by the way and asked him this he said what who are the best of believers you know um like a man from Ansar, and we know, by the way, the Ansar are the believers of the of Medina. They're called the Ansar, the who basically uh, gave support to the Prophet from the people of Medina, right? And basically, the man came and he said, "Ya Rasulullah, ayil mu'minina afdal." Who is the best of the believers? So the Prophet said, "The best of the believers is the best of them in character, the ones with the best of mannerisms." Okay, then. The, the, the companion asked Now the word akias means what? In a word it's it's a type of being wise It's a type of wisdom Who is the wisest of the believers? Look at this, look at this, look at this The Prophet responded and said The wisest of the believers are the ones who remember death the most. Again, the wisest of the believers, the, the best, the, the, the best of the believers are the most the mo- the ones with the best mannerisms. Now, the wisest of the believers are the ones with remembering those who remember death more than anyone else, more than most. And the Prophet did not stop then. He's still talking about the wisest of the believers. He said the wisest are the ones who remember death the most. And the best of those wisest, imagine this, the best of them, of that category. So the Prophet is basically describing the wisest uh, uh, believers in two levels. All of the the best of of, of the, the wisest of the believers as those who mention death the most. But of those wisest, of those bunch, the best of those are the ones who actually remember it and prepare for it. So the wisest of the believers are those who remember death the most. The best of them even are those who prepare for death. So they remember it and they even prepare for it. They take it, you know, an extra step. They prepare for death. By doing what? Good deeds. By being wise. See, I told you. Be wise. That's why I keep saying be wise. This is not my these are not my words. These are the words of the Prophet. The wisest are the ones who remember death. And the best of those the, the wisest are those who prepare for death. Meaning prepare for the day of judgment. It's the same thing. Because the Prophet said in another hadith, the person who dies, their day of judgment has come. Because there's nothing they could do until the day of judgment comes. So it's done. There's nothing you can do. So, my dear brothers and sisters, I know sometimes it's awkward and it makes people feel uncomfortable to remember death. But wallahi, remembering death and talking about death to remind your friends and family members is the best thing you could do for them and for yourself. And preparing for it and helping people preparing for it is the best. This is like the the elite now of the wisest, basically. You need to prepare for death by just doing good deeds, avoiding sins, trying to increase your good deeds because you want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with more good deeds than sins. It's that simple. 
You know, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually addresses this in the chapter of Jum'ah, verse number 8. Look at this. قُلْ إِنَّ الْمَوْتَ الَّذِي تَفِرُّونَ مِنْهُ فَإِنَّهُ مُلَاقِيكُمْ Tell yourselves that death that you're trying to run away from, it will meet you eventually. You cannot escape death. It will meet you. ثُمَّ تُرَدُّونَ إِلَىٰ عَالِمِ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Then you will be resurrected to the Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and He shall tell you what you've been doing your entire lives. فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ this is the chapter of Jum'ah, verse number 8. Allah has been given us many warnings. The Prophet ﷺ has been given us many warnings. So if we're not prepared, it's totally on us. It's us. It's our problem. Not the Prophet ﷺ. He, the Prophet ﷺ did not make, you know, was not, not telling us enough. He told us enough and enough and enough many times in a hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us many times in the Quran, prepare for death, prepare for the day of judgment, prepare for death, prepare for the day of judgment. Be wise, be wise. Now, if we're not wise, if we don't care about this, then we have nobody to blame but ourselves. And like I said, taking this life too seriously, loving it so much, is the worst thing a human being could be doing. Is the opposite of wise. It's the opposite of, of wisdom. It's the lack of wisdom. That means you have no wisdom at all if you are so much in love with this life, so much with everything in it, and you're so attached to it because none of the things that you're attached to in this life, including life itself, will be permanent. None of it will last for you, nor you will last for it, for it or for them. Your job, your wealth, your house, your car, clothing, everything, family members, none of that will matter on a day of judgment. Now, it will matter if you utilize it for the sake of Allah. But loving it and caring about it too much, yeah, none of it will matter. You know, uh, uh, in the chapter of Abasa, look at this verse. Wallahi, this verse paints a very horrifying and painful scene that will happen to even the believers on the Day of Judgment. Ready? Verse number 34 in the chapter of Abasa. يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ This is verse number 35. Verse number 36. Verse number 37. So in the chapter of Avasa, from verse number 34 all the way to verse number 37, Allah is describing one scene on the Day of Judgment. He said, يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ Siblings will be running away from each other. Not because they have problems with each other. Because they're going to be like, this is the day of judgment. Oh my God, look at what's happening. Oh my God, I could be affected with this. I could have been an evil person. Allah could punish me. They're seeing everybody and all the punishments taking place on a day of judgment. The sun is close to us. Because by the way, the sun will drop to probably a mile away just from our heads. And it's a different, we'll talk about the sun situation. But then uh, the land of gathering, everybody's there, everybody's alive. Angels are around, the, the, the shayateen, the devils are around. People are like, literally, the oceans will be on fire. The oceans will dry up and will be on fire. There is no more moon, there is no more landmarks. People will be freaking out. So siblings will be running away from each other. Not because they have, they probably like those siblings are the closest 
to each other in this life. They grew up together. They loved each other so much. They supported each other. But when it comes that when they are resurrected on a day of judgment, this is by the way a general statement. People will be running away from their siblings. And their mothers and fathers will be running away from them. He will be running away or he or she will be running away from their parents. Their parents will be running away from them and their parents will be running away from each other. Nafsi, nafsi. Myself, myself. I want to save myself. By the way, that will be the phrase that mankind will be uttering. Nafsi, nafsi. Myself, myself. I'm, I'm, what is happening? I want to save myself from all the craziness that people are seeing. And then Allah says, وَصَاحِبَتِهِ وَبَنِي Verse number 36. And a man will be running away from his wife and, the cho- and his children. And a wife will be running away from her husband and their children. And the children, again, like we said, it's, it's, it's a loop. And then Allah finishes it in verse number 37 by saying, Everyone is busy saving themselves. Every single family member, no matter how tight they were together, no matter how close and loving to one another in this life, each one will be running away to save themselves. This is a scene, one little scene, by the way, from what will happen on a day of judgment. Nothing, and I mean nothing, will save you on the day of judgment except for your deeds. Your good deeds. If you don't have any, you're doomed for eternity. If you have less good deeds than sins, you will be punished for God knows how many years or how many decades or God knows. I don't know. Now, here's a question that comes with this scene that I just described. Some people might say, so does that mean we should not care about our parents and spouses now in this life since we're going to run away from them and they're going to run away from us anyway on the day of judgment? Of course not. No. Because in order for us to have good deeds, we have to take care of them in this life. It's actually mandatory to take care of your parents. It's mandatory to be nice and kind to your spouses. It's mandatory to be kind and nicest to your family members, to your children, in order for you to pile up good deeds. Otherwise, you are sinful. And that will hurt you on the day of judgment. We're saying you're going to run away from them on the day of judgment and they won't help you. So if you committed sins for the, in, in their name, like you committed sins because of your spouse told you so or needed the money. So you just tried to scam people, whatever. Or you committed sins against your parents, you know, and you tried to like, you know, be abusive to your parents because you just, whatever. Guess what? Or you committed sins in the name of your parents. You did something evil to please your parents. None of them will help you. None of them will help you. You won't have this family power, this family support. That won't exist. You might have it now, yeah. And you should have it now. But if you commit bad deeds for the sake of your family, you're, you, it's, it's, it's going to be your loss because none of your family members will help you. You know, it's, it's, it's truly mind-boggling sometimes how people love this life so much. And they completely forget about the hereafter. It's mind-boggling. Like they're so, and I get it. This life, you live in it, you feel it, you touch it. It's, it's, it's tangible, right? It's tangible. The hereafter, to you, it's 
going to happen. For a believer, it will happen. It's just you don't see it yet. It's not tangible, right? But that's not how the believer thinks and should think, right? That's how. That's what an average Muslim, or even below average, and that won't save you on the Day of Judgment. You should believe, I mean, part of believing in the Day of Judgment is for you to work for it. It's not just, oh, I believe that the Day of Judgment is coming. Don't worry, I believe it. What do you do to prepare for it? Nothing, but I believe it's coming. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's that's wrong. That's wrong. And that means you do not truly believe in it. Because if you believe in it, and if you believe in the things that I'm telling you right now, like this little scene, you're going to do better. Because you know that no one will help you except for your good deeds. Abusing your parents is something that it's, by the way, it's one of the 10 major sins of all time, like the worst major sins of all time. Um, it's actually the person described it as the, I described those 10 sins or 10 major sins as the 10 destructive sins. One of them is parent uh, abusing our parents. Abusing our parents is from the ten major sins, the destructive sins, as the Prophet the the worst sins ever. Abusing parents is literally right next to shirk. Can you imagine associating someone with Allah? Technically, disbelief. Abusing parents is one of these. It's in the same category, my dear. It's in the category of murder. Same category as murder. Now, of course, it varies, but it's in the same category. You understand that? Because like. I know this story of a girl, a Muslim girl, a Muslim sister who is abusing, mentally abusing her parents because she wants to marry a guy that they are not approving of. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure a lot of Muslim households, they have that. Many Muslim households have that situation. A girl likes a guy, parents don't like the guy, and it, drama begins. Now, this is, this is not the episode to talk about this. But my point is, the parents could be 100% wrong. However, that does not give you the right to abuse them, to yell at them. Because the story that I know, the girl is mentally, because they're really old, so they cannot fight back. They cannot like yell back. She's mentally abusing them. She's just mentally abusing them. She's giving them a hard time. She does not listen to them. She's literally calling them names and whatever, and calling them like they're old backwards parents and it's it's literally like it's just heinous things okay and she's doing this for a guy who is technically a stranger yes i don't care if she knows him from outside or not it's just that's why wallahi 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 think about it when you follow the islamic rulings when it comes to marriage you'll never have any of these problems like the islamic ruling for a girl finding a husband is what find a muslim practicing muslim religious husband as much as you can how he looks should not matter. I mean, you still have the right to marry a good-looking guy. You still have the right to marry a rich guy. But mannerisms comes first. Islamic mannerisms, it has to come first. It has to. The Prophet said, if you find a man with good khuluq, with a good religious qualities, take him. Marry, marry him to your daughter. Talking to the parents of the daughters. Marry them to your daughters. If you find people with that good you know, uh, religious background. But when you look at a guy in today's world on social media, okay, he looks cool, he's cool, he goes out, he has fun, whatever, and then you go and tell your parents and they reject, and don't get me wrong, some parents do reject for the wrong reasons. I get that, we'll lie. But if you liked a religious guy, he would not allow you to abuse your parents like this. 
Wallahi, that's why if you follow the Islamic, the Islamic rulings, none of this drama will take place. And now, what's happening to that sister is what? May Allah guide her and give her family ease in this situation. She's mentally abusing them. She's piling up major sins, my dear brothers and sisters. Because she knows it. It's not like she doesn't know that ruling. She knows that abusing your parents is a major sin. She keeps piling it up for a stranger. Again, I don't care if she meets him, quote-unquote, dates him. He's not related to her at all. He's not a husband. He's not nothing. Can you imagine on the day of judgment when Allah is making her stand in front of him? May Allah gives her, you know, uh, forgives her and may she repent and realizes her mistakes before then. But I'm just giving you an example of, let's say, a sister who never learns until the day she dies. Let's say that. Imagine her standing in front of Allah. And Allah says, I forbade you from abusing your parents. I said this is one of the ten destructive sins. Yet you've done it. Why? For that random guy. For that random guy at least at the time. Can you imagine how you will look in the sight of Allah, in front of Allah when you're saying that and your parents standing right next to you because they are the oppressed. You're the oppressor. This is in the court of Allah now. You are the oppressor as a child and they are the oppressed. Can you imagine your situation on the day of judgment? Can you imagine those who don't even say the word uff to your parents this is in the Quran mentioned in the Quran when your parents say something you don't like Allah saying do not even say don't do that not even that imagine mentally and verbally abusing them imagine that see when you do that you're completely forgetting or completely ignoring that scene on the Day of Judgment, that court of Allah, that you will be standing right next to the oppressed, in that case, your parents. And by the way, it's vice versa. When parents abuse their children and they use their power, they're basically, the, they abuse their power as parents to abuse their children, which is rare, but it happens. Don't get me wrong. It does happen. Again, I've, I've, I've got many emails telling me that this happens, but Children abusing their parents, even the statistics are way more than parents abusing children, at least knowingly, right? Again, parents will be standing in front of Allah and the oppressed, the child that they mentally damaged, that they mentally abused is standing right next to them. Again, guys, when you act like this, it's, act, it's like you're acting like the day of judgment will never come. Or you're gonna, I'm gonna deal with it later. Don't worry about it. Allah will forgive me. Allah is all forgiven. It doesn't work that way. You cannot trick Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, I remember I was talking to uh, a group of people, not friends, but people that I know um, remotely. And we're talking about, like, you know, um, how to obtain a house, how to get a house. And then when I said, oh, if you, by the way, guys, if you, if you pray, all the Nawafil prayers, the 12 Nawafil rakahs that you pray in a day. We mentioned the Nawafil prayers before, right? Like we said, you pray two before Fajr, uh, four before Dhuhr, and two after Dhuhr. And Asr does not have any Nawafil prayers. And then uh, two after Maghrib, and then two after Isha. 
that actually culminates to 12 rakas. If you do that in one day, just one day, not every single day, just one day, Allah builds you a house in Jannah. What's really disappointing about this is that people don't get too excited when I say this because to them it's a house in Jannah in the future. I thought you were going to tell me house now that I will get now, I'll have the keys to now or the keys for now. Yeah, Jannah, I believe in Jannah, but I want, is this something for now? Very disappointing when people do that because we lost our vision. We lost the sight of Jannah, my dear brothers and sisters, even though Allah explicitly told us everything that will get us to Jannah, what we should do and what we shouldn't do to get to Jannah. But we just, it's not tangible. Again, it's not tangible. Yes, it will be in the future, but I want something right here, right now while I'm alive. But you tell people, are you willing to take a loan and uh, indulge in usury to get a big house here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. I want to have fun in this life. Yeah, I want a comfortable house for me and my children and my family. Like when the Prophet said this hadith, like I said, the 12 rakahs, only one night and one day, just one day. If you pray 12 rakahs a day, then if it prays, Allah will build you a house in Jannah. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, think about this. A house in Jannah is at minimum a massive mansion compared to the biggest house you've seen here. Again, people who take loans and, and indulge in usury to buy a house here that's like three bedrooms or whatever, or even four bedrooms. Imagine you're, Allah is building you a house, a, a mansion, a massive mansion in Jannah, in paradise. No, I'll take the small one in this life and I'll take the major sins. No, thank you. I'm good. That's basically what people do who refuse to pray the nawafil and who insist on indulging in usury and in, in, in financial interest. It's like subconsciously we do not believe in Jannah. I know that we do believe in it. But I feel like subconsciously it's not that big of a deal for us. Another example of people who are not taking the hereafter or the day of judgment seriously. Certain parents who have young children at a praying age. So some parents who have their children, let's say at 10. Let's say not before then. At 10, at 11, at 12. Okay. They refuse to wake their children up for Fajr. And when you ask them, why, why aren't they waking up for Fajr? They say, well, they have school in the morning. You know, they're still little kids. It's tough for them. Maybe in a little bit. It's a little bit much for them, you know. I don't want to wake them up now. Well, lie, parents say that. So here's the response to this. If your house is on fire, if literally, God forbid, but let's say that your house is burning. Every room in your house is burning. It's on fire. Would you wake up your children then? Or would you just be like, it's too much. Let them you know, go to sleep. Let them stay asleep. They have school tomorrow. The parents will be like, of course. Are you kidding me? I want to save my child. I don't want him to die and burn. Of course I would wake him up. Whether they like it or not, I'm grabbing them and I'm throwing him outside of the house. Well, how about waking them up for Fajr and saving them from eternity in hellfire? You guys don't think about hellfire? You don't want to save your own children from hellfire? The fire in your house is nothing compared to the fire in the hellfire. 
And again, that shows the lack of vision. We do not see the hereafter. We do not completely see it. We do not completely believe in it. There is a lack in our belief when it comes to the Day of Judgment and what happens on the Day of Judgment, like Jannah, like Paradise, like Hellfire. Because if you clearly see this, you're going to wake up your child. You, you, you pass 10, you better wake up for Fajr. I'm saving you from hellfire right now by forcing you to wake up. You're going to thank me later. Even if it's not in this life, you'll thank me on the day of judgment. But we're too soft with our children, and that is hurting them and will hurt them on the day of judgment. Parents who cover for their children when they're doing big mistakes and sins, instead of confronting them, They'd be like, ah, oh, let's not be too harsh on our children. Why? You should be. You're saving them when you are. Now, I'm not saying you should be harsh. You should confront them. You should teach them better mannerism. You should tell them you should not do this. You should teach them everything about Allah and the what about the hereafter, about the day of judgment. You should teach them. That's not being harsh. That's being practical and trying to save them from hellfire. But again. It's, it's, it's a big problem. It's like a subconscious problem. It's a fundamental problem that many Muslims have. That they don't see the hereafter. Even though Allah vividly described the day of judgment for us. As we will explain throughout the season. Allah vividly described every stage. And yet, it's like we don't see it. We subconsciously don't want to think about it. You know, like some Muslims are just driven by the day of judgment, by the way. Like they're, they they pray five times a day, they fast, they do good deeds just to avoid hellfire. There's nothing wrong with that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, some non-Muslims, converts, they convert to Islam. Like those who convert to Islam, the reverts, they revert to Islam just because of the day of judgment. When they hear about it, when they believe in Islam first, they need to, they, they, they need proof and they once they believe that Islam is the true religion, then they hear about the Day of Judgment, they'll be like, oh my God, I, I don't want to stay as a non-Muslim because if, I'm, if I die as a, as a mushrik, as a disbeliever, I'm, there's no chance for me. I'm turning into Allah, I'm becoming a Muslim so I can survive on the Day of Judgment. It drives non-Muslims to become Muslims, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, not all of them. I'm just saying it's a factor that drives many of us. Again, those who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they're afraid of the Day of Judgment, it makes sense. And it is allowed. But it shouldn't be our only reason. Let's just also be honest. You should worship Allah because Allah is worthy of our worship. That's why we talked about Allah in many episodes describing who Allah is. Describing the attributes of Allah. Because we need to appreciate and love our Creator. Some of the scholars have actually mentioned that the Day of Judgment is so significant that it is mentioned at least once in every single page in the Qur'an. Every single page in the Qur'an. So anyway, um, so that is basically... Again, it's just the beginning. Again, introduction will take multiple episodes, by the way, because we're going to talk about a lot of aspects when it comes to the Day of Judgment. So inshallah, in, in the next episode, I will mention certain things that we discussed on the podcast and their relation, direct relationship to uh, the Day of Judgment. And also we'll talk about more, more into the introduction beyond the topics that we've discussed before, the episodes. Like we're st the, the introduction will continue, but it is fascinating 
how this introduction is truly truly like I, I believe if you tell me this introduction, it should move something inside to make you more of a believer of the day of judgment. Because wallahi, I'm telling you right now, you cannot avoid that day. No matter what you do, you cannot disappear. You cannot, if you die disintegrated, you will be re put together, recollected, reformed, recreated to witness the day of judgment as a normal human being. You cannot escape that day, my dear brothers and sisters. You cannot. So what do we do now? If, if, if it's unavoidable, we work for it. We prepare for it. If there is something that will impact you and you can never avoid it, it's inevitable, then you prepare for the impact. You prepare to meet the day of judgment. You prepare to witness and experience the day of judgment. That's the only option we have. Because if you don't, then you're done. You're done. You're doomed. And many of us doomed for eternity. It depends on the level of, you know, of, of being unprepared. It depends. If you are unprepared to the degree that you're not even a Muslim, you don't think about being a Muslim, you don't practice, good luck. That's eternity in hellfire. And actually eternal punishment as well. And actually punishment on the day of judgment before you go uh, to to hellfire. If you're a little bit prepared, okay, you'll be punished on the day of judgment. You might spend some time in in, in the hellfire. And what what I mean by some time, it could be thousands of years. You know, so we need to, the reason why I'm talking about this is that you need to prepare for it, learn about it and prepare for it. And inshallah, we will talk uh, in the next episode more about the Day of Judgment. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.